I'm Annie Fox. And I'm Laurel Pinson. And this is Workwives, conversations at your desk with the woman who knows you best. So our pop culture writer recently wrote a piece about American Girl dolls, specifically the fact that she still has hers. And I thought it was it got me thinking just about dolls in general, obviously, but it really got a lot of pick up on Facebook. People had a lot to say about in the office. We all talked about our American Girl dolls, our various dolls, doll culture. Did you know about American Girl dolls before the piece came out? I did not. I did a lot of Googling. I didn't even realize until, in full candor, until we started taping this episode of the podcast, that they came with backstories. Oh, yeah. Like real backstories, like like actual stories with, a, with you know, a, a yeah. rich narrative, not just sort of at the back of a Cabbage Patch Kid box, it would say, this is Georgette, she really <laughs> likes donuts. You Although know, Cabbage like, Patch Kids were also great. Right. But um, so obviously, so no, we didn't have American Girl dolls. And we also didn't have really this concept of a doll that came with a history that you, so you were also looking for a doll that you identified with visually like she sort of looks like me but then also a back it comes then with a backstory that in some way right like starts to resonate with you whether either personally so you feel like wow this is like I could live the life of Felicity or whoever it is right um, or I relate to the life of Felicity um, so I was super fascinated by it in a way it was sort of and remains sort of superhero like in this way where you have a comic book character that you like and so you go to the Marvel movie that mm-hmm. stars your comic book character. Like I thought of the books as in many ways like that where you sort of attach yourself to a doll and she's got a bit of history to it. They really had a sort of historic backstory that matched a certain time period. You know, one was like a Victorian doll and one was like a Prairie America doll and one was like a, you know, almost 1930s era, 1940s era doll. Like a Great Depression doll? <laughs> no, like, like a Great Depression doll. You know, like a, I don't know, a doll. A doll. A doll. Right, sure. And then you became sort of part of a broader culture associated with this doll. You know, you, I don't want to say who that was it was doll? like gameplay. I want to know, know who your doll I was. I was a Molly. A Molly. And what was Molly's Molly. backstory? Um, it's funny because I feel poorly that I don't really remember much of it. Maybe like, that's eh, just because, maybe it's because I sort of, a new one? I, I, like many women, bought the Molly doll because mm-hmm. I thought she looked like me. Yeah. Or that in some way you layer your persona on them. It seems like uh, there's a kinship with this doll. Um, she, like me, had brown hair, brown eyes. Um, she was the sort of more modern of the dolls. She was, I can't remember if it was 1930s or 1940s. Um, so her wardrobe just felt like an era that I associated with. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like the Prairie doll for me was like, I'm not going to. I'm not like a Little House on the Prairie fan. I don't want the Prairie doll. The Victorian doll felt a little fussy to me. I liked Molly. She also had glasses, which to me made her seem kind of bookish. Yeah. yeah, You know, like she was sort of smart. I do think it's interesting that you say that, and and obviously Lizzie says this in her piece, but that you picked a doll that looked like you. I think Mm -hmm. there is just something so, well, something so emotionally resonant about Mm -hmm like doll play in general because we put so much of ourselves or we we strive to put so much of ourselves in the mm-hmm. dolls we find when we're kids which is why finding a doll that looks like you and and I felt this particularly as being biracial like there weren't very many like asian australian dolls to go looking for or mm-hmm. even asian dolls to go looking for or mm-hmm. really anyone that wasn't white with like brown hair and blue right. eyes um and so and that, if they were they were in some way exotic oh yeah right oh yeah like, she, she's probably wearing a high bun and has a chopstick in it. Exactly. And they're like, there's your Asian doll. Right. Got it. But then without it, you just kind of 
you just sort of mentally project yourself onto the doll and you whip off the clothes and then you sort of throw a tissue over her and you're like, there you go, she's Filipino. <laughs> and then you like imagine all the things that your sort of Australian Filipino doll is doing that's like, you know, like the stuff that you do around the house because you don't get a doll that looks exactly like you. There is a video. Oh, you tell this story. I love when I, you tell this story. I, I also love because I also know when you're watching this video. Oh, I it can is, just tell. You got the headphones in. You, the tissue box is inexplicably closer to you than usual, and I just know you're watching that goddamn video. Like I might cry talking about the video. Tell us. Tell us. It's it's if you need a good cry and you need like to sort of have a cry from like where your heart is. There is a video on YouTube that you can watch that is about a girl who receives a doll and it is a doll that is custom made for her this girl has a prosthetic leg she's a young girl and the doll that she receives also has a prosthetic leg and you can see her opening the box and being you know, I don't know if it's Christmas or something she is so excited and she has this immediate like it's like a five second reflex of excitement because she is excited that it's like her and she's looking up at her family and she knows that the response is enthusiasm and she just collapses into tears immediately afterwards. And the thing that resonates with me and I think the thing that really resonates about dolls and doll play, especially for young girls, is any doll that looks like you or that feels like a mirror of you feels like one of the first times that you feel seen. And playing with a doll or doll play I know seems like sort of childish games but becomes really a way that we're tinkering with who we are and who we want to be. But yeah. What did you, what did you do with your dolls? What kind of dolls did you have? I had a I had a mix of dolls. Mostly they were Barbies, but I also had action figures, Mm. and I sort of treated them all the same. Like I didn't do actiony things with my action figures, and then like bake a cake with my Barbie. (laughs) Like they were all on adventures together. They were going to space together. They were discovering Mars together. They were going, you know, like looking for new animal species in the Amazon. Like all sorts of adventures they were doing together. They just like wore different outfits and had like one of them could shoot projectiles out of a gun or whatever. Um, they would date, so the Ninja Turtles would sometimes date the Barbies, like, you know, um, the G.I. Joes would sometimes date the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> it was very progressive. It's funny because I actually played with my dolls in exactly the same way that you do. <laughs> really? Like, you just all smoosh just them this together? twinning moment. Yeah, I mean, I had, like, He-Man and She-Ra, but they would absolutely Respect. have, like, a crossover special with Barbie. I mean, they all just played <laughs> together. You know, yeah. it was whatever house you had, whether it was, like, you know, Skeletor's castle or you know whatever and they would just hang out there but it would be like a soap opera action movie oh yeah to me just seems like how i've replicated my passions in entertainment like those are the shows that i still like watching like (laughs) line side (laughs) so true that's so true it's basically la femme nikita yeah Yeah. it was like will they or won't they it's a will they won't they drama yeah with action thrown in um i weirdly did a lot of like I think it's because my mum obviously was a single parent and she um, had a lot of part-time, like, as she was putting herself through school, I think she, there must have been a stage where she was interviewing for jobs and I think I found that really fascinating. So weirdly, a lot of my doll play was, like, my dolls going on job interviews. (laughs) Just because in my mind I was like, He-Man needs a new job. Um, he's going out, he's doing his resume, he's going out on the street scene. Like, did he get a new outfit or did he go still like shirtless with the sword on his furry <laughs> bikini bottom? He was probably wearing like a Barbie ball gown. Yeah. Because yeah. it was the fanciest thing I owned and I was like, well, he's going to a job interview. It's a big deal. Look fancy. Can't close the dress, doesn't matter, going to wear it as a midriff. <laughs> Off a he skirt. goes. So we asked Lizzie, uh, the gal who wrote our incredible American Girls Dolls post, to host a tea party discussing dolls and we're going to play that for you now 
Hi, everybody. Welcome to Pods and Dolls, the only podcast segment all about dolls that I know of. I'm Lizzie Logan, Glamour's pop culture writer. We're going to go around the table and have everyone introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Janae Holloway, and I am a special projects editor at Glamour. I'm Anna Maceline, and I'm our digital entertainment editor. I'm Aminata Jett, and I'm our digital product manager. And we're all drinking tea. About a year ago, (laughs) over winter break, I went home and I was doing my life-changing magic of tidying up, and I was getting rid of all the stuff that I don't use anymore, and I was not able to get rid of my American Girl dolls. I have a Samantha and I have a Nellie. Long story short, they're best friends, and I have both of the dolls, and my immediate reaction was like, okay, they're both orphans. Like, I can't get rid of them like I'm I'm their mom now like I can't I don't know what I'm gonna do like drop them off at Goodwill like they're both already orphans so I had Felicity um she was my favorite I thought her red hair was super cool I loved her outfits I loved her backstory um and I agree you grow personally attached to these dolls and especially reading the books and learning more about their life and their friends and their families so you feel really invested in them. Anna, you had a lot of dolls. So, okay. I should preface by saying that I'm an only child, and I hate when people tell only children that they are spoiled and they get everything they want, because that wasn't the case for me, except when it came to American Girl dolls, because I, every year for Christmas, I would get a new American Girl doll. Oh, wow. Wow. So I had the full set. (laughs) Everybody? Everybody. Did you play with all of them, or did oh, you? Yeah, I played with them. I would dress them up. I my, one of the best experiences I had. My favorite childhood memories is when my grandmother took me to the American Girl doll store in Chicago, and I saw they had like a Broadway produced play, and we took my oh. doll to the cafe, and they gave her her own little seat, and we and little utensils, yeah. and I was fully on board. I read all of the books I had all of the books on my bookshelf. Nay, did you have any American Girl dolls? I did not. I would always want an American Girl doll, and like the obvious choice would be Addie because I'm African American. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom was not feeling it like at all. And I really never probed into it too much, but a couple years ago I was talking to one of my best friends, and we were like home for Christmas break, and we were talking about like the dolls that we used to have, and she was saying she didn't have an Addie doll either. And we started talking about the books and because Mm -hmm. I did have the books because my mom was didn't mind me like reading it Mm -hmm. for historical reference and so I had the book and I know the first scene of the Addie's lifestyle it starts out with her as a slave and she's on a plantation and she's supposed to be like picking cotton or whatever and she instead is like daydreaming Mm -hmm. about probably freedom (laughs) and (laughs) um and the overseer comes over and he's like what are you doing you I should whip you for not picking this cotton and she's like please please don't whip me and then he's like well this is what I'll do instead and he picks up like this grub worm from one of the plant leaves and he forces it in her mouth and makes her eat it and it like burst all over her mouth and she was just like describing how disgusting that was and when I tell you I was appalled like I am still left with that memory at 28 it's insane and I probably read that book when I was like eight years old and so Of course, my parents actually talked to me a lot about slavery, um, even at that point, and I knew the horrors of slavery, but hearing a girl who was my age have to experience something like 
a worm mm-hmm. being put mm-hmm. in her mouth. And that's how it started. I was <laughs> like, okay, this is some shit. And so my mom's feeling about the Addie doll was that even though it was some points of it were historically accurate, she just didn't feel like a girl my age needed to see the representation of herself as a slave and Mm -hmm. only a slave. And my mom just didn't feel like that was representative of one, the lifestyle that I lead, but also she spent a lot more time teaching me about African queens like Nefertiti Mm -hmm. and, you know, Egyptian princes and princesses. She taught me about um, the greatness that could come from being black and being African. And she didn't feel like Addie represented that kind of that kind of greatness. I think what's interesting about Addie, though, is even though she had this really sad story and maybe wasn't the most glamorous of the American Girl dolls, when I think back on her and what her life was, I think almost think it was kind of progressive for the company to include a doll like that because they were trying to be representative, A, of history and that these things really happened and girls that age really existed through a life like that. Um, And I think you even kind of see that when they expanded out with Josefina, right? Mm -hmm. When she was one of the later ones, that they were trying to, you know, include these different points of time with girls who really lived through that. See, this is insane because, like, you still remember the time that a slave plantation owner like shoved a worm into a girl's mouth right i can still remember the time when samantha's neighbor boy switched out the sugar and the salt and she was making ice cream at her birthday party and she made really gross ice cream with salt which like does seem like a difficult moment but not as difficult not as difficult at all yeah but no yeah i mean i of course wanted the samantha doll and i think my mom was hearing me say like samantha is the bomb samantha is the goals (laughs) And she wanted me to have a doll that, one, had a lifestyle that was more similar to mine, Mm -hmm. but also who I could aspire to be like. I also remember a time um, when I was maybe six or seven, and it was Christmas. I remember this so vividly. Um, And like I said, my mom was white, so obviously her parents are white. And they were over for Christmas, our grandparents. And I was opening up a couple presents on Christmas Eve, and I opened up, I think it was the present my parents gave me first. And it was whatever new Barbie, like that type Um, And it was the black version because I think, you know, my parents really wanted to encourage me to have dolls that look like me Mm -hmm. somewhat so I could be more relatable to them. Um, And right after that, I opened up my grandparents' gift and it was the exact same Barbie, but the white one. And my my mom was like, mom, what are you doing? (laughs) And I, I like understood the seriousness of seriousness. But, you know, I understood the impact of that situation. And then I felt kind of weird because I was like, am I supposed to choose one or the other? Are you guys going to return it? Like, that's a lot to put on a six-year-old, you know, to, like, like, pick your path. Like, grapple with your identity right now at Christmas. Exactly. (laughs) And that's totally what it was. And it was just so interesting to me. And then I, like, saw them having a conversation about it afterwards. And my grandma was like, I'm not trying to push her, you know what I mean, to have these types of things. But... Um, It was just really fascinating to see there are different perspectives on things like that that Mm -hmm. could potentially impact and influence how I feel about my identity or what I look like and things like that. Did you have a favorite doll then? No. I mean, I really did love my Felicity doll, to be honest. Um, And I had a ton of Barbies. And I think for me with the Barbies, what I loved the most was that I could create these stories around them Mm -hmm. and personas and, you know... I remember with one I had, I think it was like an ice skating doll or she, I 
bought an accessory. It was like little ice skates I could put on. Um, and I remember making like an ice skating rink out of like a giant bowl where I just like froze the water and would like spin around and pretend she was in competitions. So I think in general, what I really loved about Barbies was that I could be so creative with my imagination and what I did with them. I was a very quiet kid. I like preferred playing alone than playing mm-hmm. with other kids and the world building I could do with dolls and Barbies. I was kind of like a little like masochist with my Barbies. Not even that I would like mutilate them, but I always just wanted them to have like really sad storylines <laughs> or whatever. Like I didn't think it was there was no drama in like first we went to the mall, then we went to cheerleading practice and I did have a cheerleader Barbie <laughs> and I remember oh I've never told anyone this before. Um I remember I would stuff her pom pom up her shirt and be like, She's pregnant. <laughs> which is so also so judgmental of me to be like you know it's dramatic teen moms it's a real thing people go through and like uh, but but to me in my like bubble of like affluence and liberalism i was just like wouldn't it be cool if you like crazy and weird if i like acted out degrassi with these barbies did you use ken for like a baby daddy or did she not know i had an aladdin Oh, I used to too. I had been given black Barbies like ever since birth. That's all I kind of knew. And so one day I was with my babysitter, and so this had to be when I was like six or younger. And she was like, "Let's go to Toys R Us. You can pick anything you want." And so I sounds go like there. a great babysitter for <laughs> someone. <laughs> she was actually the mama. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. Um, but I just would have loved to see your parents if you came home with like a TV or like a bike. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it like, wasn't going to get that crazy. Okay. It was probably like a twelve dollar limit. Let's sure, be sure, real. Sure. Um, but I go in there and I'm like looking around in the Barbie section and I see this Olympian Barbie and she is white with blonde hair and blue eyes and I was like, yeah, like <laughs> mom's not here. I'm gonna get this. Barbie (laughs) and I walked home with that Barbie feeling so proud of myself like I mean I honestly felt like I was diversifying my Barbie Barbie (laughs) portfolio you know like I was like changing it up a little bit and I really didn't see any harm in it because I just had so many other black Barbies right and my mom was like "Uh, why did you come home with this (laughs) and not of course like I went to school with a lot of um white kids I went I was in a predominantly white area and I was in Indianapolis Indiana um and so I think she was a little concerned that the moment I got away I decided that blonde hair and blue eyes was what I was looking for um and so she was like you know you can keep this doll but next time get a black doll because there are black Olympians. Mm-hmm. There's Dominique Dawes. There are, there are so many women who look like you, and it, you don't have to have blonde hair and blue eyes to be successful mm-hmm. or to be great at something. She just wanted me to see consistent positive representations of what black women could be and look like. And, you know, now I am feeling so much better about my self-identity and image because she, she did that from a very early age. I think that's really cool that she did that and kind of instilled that in you. I had a handful of black Barbies, but it does mm. definitely wasn't the same way in the sense that my mom would try to get me to get those ones or would buy those ones for me, but it wasn't the same in the sense that like she was steering me in that yeah. direction. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool that your mom kind of pushed for that, especially yeah. from a younger age. And I'm sure it had to be like something that your mom really had to think about, you know, because mm-hmm. her Barbies were probably all white dolls. Yeah, totally. And she had to be like, I want my daughter to see that she's beautiful too. And and just because she doesn't look exactly like me, you know, she has beauty and she has talent and even privilege in some ways. Um, 
And I'm sure that was like a tough thing for her to grapple with. Yeah, especially because she's coming from it, like like you're saying, from a different perspective and experience, you know, growing up where she would have had all white Barbies and it wasn't ever a thing she would have thought about. Like, I feel like when Anna and I have kids now, we're going to have to have conversations. Like, I can't imagine raising my kids the way I was raised with like so little awareness. There's just like no exposure. There's no exposure because my mom, you know, who is lovely and wanted me to be introduced to all the things in the world was like get whatever you want and I just picked people who looked like me and it was very available because dark hair white skin is like very available I had Samantha she looked just like me and my dad would always be like well okay and like she's Jewish which is not a thing (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I feel like we definitely for this generation that's coming up and for the next generation or at least I would hope there's going to be a lot more awareness of like you have to like look at all different kinds of heroes you have to be inspired by like all different kinds of people and like that should be reflected in toys that should be reflected in kids media like Mm -hmm. all over the place ladies it's been awesome chatting with you i definitely want us all to bring our dolls into the office (laughs) and have a tea party with our dolls i think that's been the only thing that's missing and if you want more from any of the women you've heard from today check out their work online and on glamour.com Well, that was um, a lively tea party. It was a lively, basically it was a lively tea party. And um, as it turns out, there is a lot to say about dolls. Yes. Particularly, again, going back to the intersection of identity and your relationship with your doll. And I think Ami's story about receiving the same Barbie from her grandparents as she did from her parents really obviously resonated and I thought was so such an interesting story and so well put. Well, and I loved that. She could understand even at six that it was a really hard thing to navigate, that she didn't want to have to choose between the two Barbies Mm -hmm. because that was like wrestling with her own identity at six. Yeah. And I think Lizzie's point that it's not just about identity, but it's also about the world you live in. Like your dolls should also reflect the world you live in. Right. Even if you are a white person with brown hair. doesn't mean every doll you have needs to be a white person with brown hair. Right. Laurel, you actually said this. Dolls actually have come a long way. Well, not all the way, but they've come a fair way in terms of representation, right? Not just in, obviously, the diversity, like racial diversity, but even in size. Well, and to the extent that now I think it's made certainly me as somebody who had plentiful representation of dolls that looked like her when she was young want to ensure that, you know, if I purchased dolls for my kid, that there's like an array of dolls that I can choose from and I can really create a world for my kid that feels representative of the world as it exists as opposed to just what they were creating at the time. So to that end, we asked our associate producer, Kateri Benjamin, to take a break from keeping the ship afloat (laughs) to chat to Angelica Sweeting, the founder of Naturally Perfect. Hey, Kateri. Hi. Where's your wine gone? Why are you only drinking water, babe? I drank all the wine. Oh, good woman. Good woman. (laughs) Okay, good. So (laughs) carry on. Carry on. Um, So tell us a little bit about, before we ask you to kind of give us the highlights and tell us about your favorite bits, tell us a little bit about just the interview in general. You know, this whole episode is about dolls, and so I've been so interested to kind of delve into so many different aspects of it. Like you, Annie, I'm biracial, my mom is white, and my my dad is black, and so I definitely never could find a a doll when I was growing up that had the, you know, the exact hair texture that I had. I have curly hair, and, you know, my facial features are kind of a mix between different races. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I definitely never felt like, you know, there there was a doll when I was growing up that that I felt like represented me. So I was really excited to find out that there's this new doll company called Naturally Perfect, Mm -hmm. and it specializes in creating dolls with naturally curly hair that match 
those with African backgrounds. And um, so I spoke with Angelica and she she told me about the exact features that these dolls had and how she created them. And so I'll play that clip for you now. Right. So during our Kickstarter, we learned so much. Um, naturally, we thought, OK, this is kind of just going to be geared towards you know, black little girls that don't have that option. But as we, uh, you know, continue to grow and talk to our supporters, you know, we had Asian moms and Indian moms and, of course, biracial moms and all these different people saying, well, we want a doll that looks like our daughter, too. So, of course, we can't replicate a 100 different types of people. So as we're starting to create more dolls, we're um, just... We want to expand the skin tones, of course, and different texture hair. Um, for example, one of our dolls might have loosely curled hair, and the other one has very tight, afro, almost textured hair. So for us, as we continue to grow, we just want to represent more little girls. Um, uh, next year, we're going to also like make sure we include he- hijabs with our dolls and you know, we just want to represent more little girls. So we started with just expanding, simply just expanding skin tones, facial features, and hair textures. Now, those are actually very, you know, very different than typical dogs that you might find, you know, on the toy shelves. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to create an authentic doll that, you know, diverse girls could really relate to. And one of the huge things for me, because even now there's a lot of, like, diverse doll coming to the market but the facial features are really important so for us we wanted to make sure that the dolls had you know wider noses they had beautiful brown skin and they really looked like diverse women so the angelica doll's face is actually molded out of my face and my daughter's face put together um, just to make sure that it would truly reflect a you know diverse woman And then um, the hair was something that was really big for us, too. It's probably one of our biggest selling features because you can style and wash the hair just as natural, curly, kinky hair. So little girls love, you know, just being able to style and play with hair that's exactly like theirs. And so many women with naturally curly hair, they don't really discover how great their hair is until they're older. So that's something we want to start at a much younger age. So I thought it was really interesting what Angelica had to say and how she's creating the facial features of the mm-hmm. of the dolls. I'm wondering how having a doll that looked like me might have influenced my identity sooner when I was growing up. Mm. Maybe we will get to the stage where dolls will come in all shapes, all colors, all creeds. I don't know if a doll can come in a fucking creed, but whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. like maybe dolls will actually look like the people in the world around us. I mean, is the world is a, to us? the world is a melting pot, and so certainly it'll be hard to come up with every doll that looks like every person but just to get a little bit closer is right. just Maybe so not meaningful every doll that looks like one person is <laughs> it's, it's gonna be hard to create a doll that looks like every single person but i think just getting a little bit closer changing the actual molds of the dolls that you're creating and, and just kind of thinking a little bit more authentically will, right hopefully will help imagine a doll that didn't have a defined gender i would love that. It resonates on so many levels because it's not just about something that looks like a reflection of you. It's also something that can be an ideal to strive for it's very that true. isn't a sort of typical ideal. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not a doll that looks like me, but maybe it can be a doll that truly represents something I can be. <laughs> Thank you. 
Work Wives is produced by Ben Riskin and Acast. Our associate producer, Katiri Benjamin, keeps the ship afloat. And we have production support from the whole staff at Glamour, including Anna Maysline, Lizzie Logan, and Simone Kitchens. And we're recorded right here at Condé Nast Studio in NYC.